0: This is theology on the go: a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello. Hi, Dr. Doriani. It's Jonathan Master calling. Uh, is this still a, a good time for for the interview?
1: It is. It is absolutely.
0: Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master, and today we are delighted to welcome Dr. Dan Doriani to speak with us. He is a professor of theology and vice president of strategic academic projects at Covenant Seminary just outside of St. Louis. For many years, he served as a pastor of Central Presbyterian Church. He's also an author of a number of books, including Getting the Message, A Plan for Interpreting and Applying the Bible, Putting the Truth to Work, The Life of a God-Made Man, and, and a number of commentaries as well in the Reformed Expository Commentary series. He's also the speaker at the 2017 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, among others. He is one of the plenary speakers, and so we have invited him to speak to us today on the solas of the Reformation. So, Dr. Doriani, thanks for your time today.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: I wanted to just begin with a question about definition. We talk about the five solas of the Reformation
1: What are they,
0: and can you sort of unpack each of them a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, I can give you a brief summary of the five. So uh, the first one is sola scriptura, and that means our authority is Scripture alone. And I'll unpack these in a minute. The second one is sola fide, which means by faith alone. That is to say, uh, we receive salvation by faith alone, not faith plus works. Sola gratia is uh, salvation by grace alone, that is to say, by God's freely distributed, granted favor, not, again, on the basis of anything we or anybody else does. Solus Christus, Christ alone, Christ is the one and only Savior, and Soli Deo Gloria, and that is the final goal, is that all be done for his praise and for his glory. Sometimes add a, a sixth one, which is Semper Reformanda, which is, kind of loops back to Sola Scriptura, which says we have one authority and humans don't always follow it well, and in fact always falter, and therefore we have to keep on going back to Scripture and back to Christ to correct the mistakes we make. So there's five, you may say five plus one.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in your estimation, are these, th- they're generally placed over against medieval Roman Catholic teaching as a kind of Faithful representation of the teaching of the of the Reformation itself, is that how you'd frame it as well that this sort of faithfully encapsulates what the Reformation was about?
1: yeah, I would say absolutely it's a good summary of uh, the way in which the reformers tried to recapture the essence of christianity i would I would actually um plead that it's not just the teaching of the reformers but the- the teaching of scripture of Christ himself, the apostles especially uh, the Apostle Paul when it comes to sola fide and and sola gratia, which he battled for in Romans and Galatians and other places. So, yeah, it's the theology of the Reformers, which is a, some people, if I can use a big word, a repristinization of the church, that is to say returning to its uh, original roots and trying to get back to what the original revelation was. So we're not just going back to the 16th century, we're going back to the 1st century.
0: That's a really helpful um, expansion, because that was actually the next question I was going to ask as a follow-up, but do you see these as faithfully representing the core message of the Bible? And it sounds like what you're saying is, yeah, absolutely, this is the core of New Testament doctrine for the Church, period. And then, of course, it is also perhaps uh, a faithful historical representation of what the Reformation was about, but it sounds like you're saying, yeah, this is, this is what the Bible teaches too, and that, and it's sort of at the core of what the Bible teaches.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what the Bible teaches first. In every generation, inevitably, we um, feel the influences of our age and uh, even our own desires. I mean, one of the issues with the, with the need for the Reformation, and many people in the Church at the time, that is to say we would call them Catholics, many Catholics agreed with Luther and others and said, you know, the Church is tremendously corrupt. And it became corrupt because it had so much power and so much wealth. And people were headed toward the power and headed toward the wealth, as they always are, and then created systems to justify their activities. And it's not just something that happens in the 15th and 16th centuries. It happens in the 21st century, too. We we confuse cultural pressures and our own desires with the Bible. We find whatever's in the air culturally. We say, oh, here's a Bible verse that sounds like that. And so we baptized uh, contemporary uh, ideological trends, and we justify what we want by finding a verse in the Bible that seems to indicate that God's going to give us what we want. So it's it's not new or unusual. You, You constantly have to seek reformations, not just look back to one reformation.
0: Yeah, and then that speaks to the the sixth point that you mentioned, Semper Reformanda, always, always right. reforming. It's something that we constantly need to return to. So what do you see as the big challenges to these central principles today? They were perhaps in the, in the 16th century placed against a medieval Roman Catholic teaching, but what do you see as maybe some key flashpoints or key areas where, where these things are challenged? Maybe not as a whole, but but individually. How do you see those challenged in our world?
1: Yeah. Well, can, can I go back and do something else for for a minute, Jonathan? As yeah. I'd like of to course. just define sola scriptura a little more carefully, and then it'll lead, I think, to the way the challenge occurs today. So, you know, in the day of Luther, there were a lot of efforts to reform the church through councils, through people who are zealous preachers saying we have to we have to bring the the church's practice into line with scripture and and you know practice self. Sacrifice and live a holy life, and so on. When Luther started to proclaim his version of the Reformation, he started with indulgences. And, you know, indulgences brought a lot of money to the Catholic Church. And so the authorities pushed against that quite hard and asked him to, or commanded him to, come into line. And then, you know, the debate got going on what basis do you tell me to come into line? show me in Scripture where these teachings are found. So what happened in the end was that uh, Luther found himself, not intentionally, but eventually working his way toward the question, by what authority are decisions made? Who decides who's right? Uh, Who decides what the Church should look like? And the Catholic Church actually had a doctrine called Prima Scriptura, which is Scripture as first or leading authority, but then alongside that would be canon law, and the historical interpretations of the various books of the Bible, uh, if you looked at commentaries in those days, they didn't comment on the Bible, they commented on other commentaries on the Bible. They would talk about each other's interpretations and not spend very much time on the text itself. And they emphasized that there's a living voice of the bishops and the popes, and that living voice supplements the written voice. And Luther said, you know, the problem with that concept, although it's attractive in certain ways, the problem with that concept is that if you want to reform the church and you say, okay, this council says this, and this council says this, and that's authoritative, and that's what the church should run, the problem is that councils contradict each other. And so how, where are you going to turn? And sometimes the church says things that are contrary to Scripture. So we said, you know, sh- show me in Scripture where I'm wrong. Because the, the authorities could always say, what you're saying is unpalatable. What you're saying is disruptive to the peace of the church. What you're saying has bad consequences. And Luther essentially said, I don't really care all that much about the consequences. I care about doing things God's way as found in his word, not in the contradictory decrees of popes and councils. So that's sola scriptura in the crucible of that day. You have to have a final authority. And it's not that scripture leads among several authorities, it is Scripture is the authority. And up today you may say, well, where, where does this, sh-? I mean, you did ask, where does this show up? And, and the short answer is, there's still enormous pressure that the church not say things that are unpalatable to our age. And you find this reflected in conversations with Christians, I mean, I have them, where you make a comment and somebody will say, well, that'll preach, meaning that will be received well by the church and i understand what people are saying when they say that but it's it's kind of making the the reception of the audience the test of what you preach and there are some things that are necessary to say but don't preach well people will not welcome them and sometimes i have to tell people students christians when they say you know this teaching you gave maybe about biblical sexuality offends me and hurts me and you have to say gently of course The fact that you're offended is interesting and significant, but we don't start with what offends you. We start with what's true and what the Bible teaches, and then we'll pursue the responses that people have. So those are some of the ways in which sola scriptura is resisted. People just say that's unpalatable, unbelievable, too challenging to our culture to believe.
0: So in a a sense, what they've done is they've set up the popular reception, or perhaps even their own individual reception, as an authority that stands over against the Scriptures. Not a not a body of tradition, not some sort of canon law, but, but their own exactly. individual desires and perhaps the desires of, of a group are then yeah, exactly. tr- the trumping exactly. authority over against the Scripture itself.
1: Exactly. And, you know, we live in an in individualistic age, and so people will say— I mean, let's, you know, let's pick sexuality. You know, what you are saying is contrary to the nature of human sexuality or my sexuality. And I, I can't receive that. To which we say, you know, that's a great point. Let's, let's discuss that. But your experience doesn't trump the authority of Scripture. I mean, in your, in your life, you may decide it does. You may decide to reject the authority of God's Word, but that doesn't make it so in some absolute sense. You know, another example of this is the current questions about the substitutionary atonement of Christ, and and people say, well, you know, it's just so violent, and it sounds like cosmic child abuse that God killed his own son. It's so violent. And maybe somebody will add, you know, that that offends people who grew up in abusive homes. And, of course, it's tragic to grow up in in an abusive home. Absolutely. And, And we resonate with the agony of someone who is abused by their own parents but that doesn't make the doctrine of substitutionary atonement false it might mean you hear it with difficulty and it might mean that it's challenging to you and you have to deal with life issues and i hope in a very constructive way but the way we feel about a doctrine doesn't make it true or false
0: yeah that's that's a very helpful exposition of a contemporary challenge um I hadn't really considered that in terms of a, a contrary authority at the level of of the kinds of things Luther was was addressing, but I think you're absolutely right. And of course, all the same criticisms that he leveled at the church authorities could perhaps be leveled at an individual's judgment and the the sort of contradictory nature of it, the the, yeah, the, right. the changeability right. of it, and sort of the unreliability of it. So that's very helpful, and I think that is a, a sweeping kind of Challenge to those principles today. Um, I, I wonder if listeners wanted to learn more about the solos, or even you know, we've only had a limited time, and so we've spent our time sure. with Sola scriptura, and I think that was appropriate and really helpful. But if if listeners yep. wanted to learn more about the solos in general, Sola scriptura in particular, what books or articles or resources would you recommend?
1: Oh boy, you know, I'm I'm not an article guy, so I would say, you know, your your best organizations that publish blogs would be a great place to go. Obviously, the uh, Alliance for Confessing Evangelicals uh, puts things out. Reformation 21 puts things out, and they're all very fine. I'm actually a big fan of Luther the Reformer by James Kittleson, which mm. is a 300-page biography of Luther that is uh, you know, deeply committed to to his teaching his doctrine and so you know the early chapters of that book do a terrific job of describing what he taught and and where it comes from it's not it's history it's a it's a book of history but it's definitely from the perspective of faith and then uh you know robert godfrey's book on john calvin is another source it's also a relatively short biography that's very theological and excellent in its nature And so I'd say, you know, go to the blogs at the reliable Christian sites, and those are a couple biographies that are honest about the strengths and weaknesses, but also focus or primarily focus on the teaching of our two great reformers, Calvin and Luther. So that's Luther the Reformer by James Kittleson and the Calvin biography by Robert Godfrey. Those would be my big recommendations
0: That's very helpful, Dr. Doriana. and we really appreciate your time today. I wish we had more time to kind of unpack each of these in more detail, but thanks for the time that you gave to us, and thanks for your ongoing work.
1: Well, I appreciate being with you, Jonathan. Thanks for your ministry and uh, your theology podcast. I know it's a great blessing to a lot of people.
0: Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go today. I want to remind you that this podcast and the other ministries of the Alliance wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you can do that at AllianceNet.org. Or you can visit placefortruth.org, which hosts articles related to theology on the go, and you can also make a donation there. Just for listening today, we'd like to offer you the opportunity to receive a free copy of one of the books Dr. Doriani mentioned, John Calvin, Pilgrim and Pastor, by Bob Godfrey. It's an outstanding book, and if you go to placefortruth.org, there'll be a link for you to click on, to see if you can win a free copy of John Calvin, Pilgrim and Pastor. And thanks again for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.